0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Yes, we are yes going to be opening up the book of Luke again. And uh, this uh, this week kind of marks a good stopping point as we look at pa- uh, pausing and reflecting on our life together as a church over the next few weeks because this morning we're going to be finishing up the chapter, chapter 9 of the book of Luke. So if you want to turn there, we're in uh, verse 57. Um, But as we get started, um, just a quick overview of this passage. So here in the Gospel of Luke, um, Luke actually, uh, or Luke is going to be recording a series of stories that happen, kind of, he mentions them one after another. And, uh, and these stories actually kind of all end with Jesus having some pretty uh, astounding or almost, uh, um, almost like uh, aggressive or rude statements. And so we're going to explore those together and take a look at what, what, uh, what's happening here. So let's go ahead and read our passage, and then we'll ask God for help. We, we commented last week that um, I think my son hears me talking through the speakers, so if you're, like, you're going to hear him like preaching with me. So it would be good to talk about gifts orderly fashion next week. Um, um, All right, sorry, we'll read. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's pray and ask God for his wisdom as we look into this passage this morning. God, um, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that it gives us um, a light, an insight into your heart. And uh, God, at times it challenges us and even asks us to, to trust you in ways that um, that, that can be unnatural or surprising to us. So we ask this morning that you would really work in our hearts, help us to, to see how this call or how these... Uh, how following you in this mission uh, is rewarding to us, and give us um, just eyes to see what's happening here. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So if you're like me, and I read this passage the first time, and I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I have a background in sales. I used to sell uh, cars um, for a career before I moved out to New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, there's there's a sense where I'm reading this I'm looking at what Jesus is saying to these people who are potentially following him and thinking that like Jesus is just the worst kingdom salesman ever. Like these people are like coming to Jesus and they're like, hey, like I'm ready to go. I'm ready to follow you wherever you go. And uh, Jesus in each of these scenarios uh, almost seemingly talks them out of uh, this kingdom, this kingdom walk, this mission that he's on. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning, uh, these three different accounts. And, uh, you know, I think about it like the equivalent of like somebody coming uh, to me, trying to sell them a car, and like, hey, I'd like to buy your car. I'm ready to pay you full sticker price for the car. I'm like, great, and it doesn't have tires. I hope that's okay with you, but you know, it's, uh, that, that's just going to be what it is. So uh, not, not a great, uh, great start, as you can imagine, to building a kingdom uh, as Jesus was doing here. So as we look at these three accounts, um, we're going to be progressing through them, uh, but I think an important thing to ask is a, a question of why is Luke including these stories now, right? Why is he covering this subject in the way that he is? Uh, first off, it's important to note that there's not really a, um, reason to believe that all these things happened at the same time. It seems from as a simple reading of it that Luke is actually just including these stories in this one spot to kind of tell a story. And as he's been doing through the entire gospel account that he's gone through so far, he's been telling a story about how, God, how God's kingdom, how Jesus' kingdom is different than the ideas that we, we have for it. And so we're going to have to keep two lenses in mind as we go through this passage. Uh, the first lens that we should keep in mind here is that um, here in Luke's gospel, um, Jesus is uh, is on a turning point. We talked about that last week, that Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem, right? That that there's some intentionality that's happening with his ministry that's taking place here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be handed over, delivered to the hands of men. Um, that's one, one aspect of it. So there's an aspect of Jesus' direction here, so, which can cause a little bit of intensity, right? Jesus is trying to fill people in on that this isn't going to be a walk in the park, that something something dramatic is coming, that he's tried to tell them, but uh, they have yet to, to listen. The second lens I think that is important, and we talked about this last week in the Q&A section, which, as a reminder, we'll have the Q&A section again at the end of this one, so the, that number will be on the slides. But we talked about it last week that... We have the privilege of knowing the end from the beginning, right? We know where Jesus is heading and what's going to be happening to him. But keeping in mind that these disciples that are asking to follow Jesus or that Jesus is encouraging to follow him, they they don't have an understanding of what's going to be coming. As far as they know, um, they think that Jesus is on his way to kick down the doors of Rome and try to establish his kingdom, right? And and overrule all the kings of that time and uh, set up his kingdom on earth. So they're, they're in for, for it, hoping to maybe be part of his cabinet, right? Hoping to be his right-hand man as, they, as he goes into this uh, dramatic entry into Jerusalem. So those two lenses are going to help us understand a little bit of the dynamic of what's happening here this morning. And as we go, really our main focus this morning is how, how does this apply to us, right? As we look at this, um, how do we see the reward for ourselves following this surprising mission of Jesus, because it does look different than what we would expect. Even Jesus' call for his mission today looks different than what we would sometimes expect. We're gonna do that three ways. Uh, We're gonna be looking at uh, Jesus' mission for, uh, or that Jesus' mission is uncomfortable. Um, We're gonna look at that the mission of Jesus is urgent, with the second part of the passage, and the third part of the passage, the third account, we're going to be looking at the mission of Jesus being focused, that it's intentional. So that being said, we're going to start with our our first point here, that the mission of Jesus is uncomfortable. Let's read uh, verse 57 and 58, say this. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, again, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds in the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So we begin with, and I was mentioning before, with this almost perfect scenario, right? If you are, you know, and I'm sure Jacob can relate to this a little bit, you're, you're planting a church, like, the best case scenario, like, is somebody coming to you and saying, hey, I want to join your cause, I want to join your mission, and I'll be with you, right? Like, here, here's my information, I'm, I'm ready to go, Right? Uh, or like, you know, if you're, you're doing any kind of cause, right, and you get people who are like, I want to join your cause, right? This is like the dream scenario of somebody coming to you and offering their services in this way. And you can even tell, like, he, you know, this person's real ambitious. He uses, a, he, he qualifies this with like, wherever you go, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm also going to be going. I'm going to follow you no matter where you go but we know that this is a statement of ignorance. We know that this is a statement that um, this disciple just doesn't quite understand what he's saying. One, because of its, the, how it sounds so ultimate, right? Um, if anybody Star Wars fans, like only Siths deal in absolutes, right? I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm sure this guy probably wasn't a Sith, but... This person comes to Jesus, and he follow. He's saying, "I'm going to follow follow you wherever." Jesus even himself acknowledges somewhat of the ignorance in this statement, because he immediately follows it up with, "Like, do, do you know what you're? Do you know what you're saying? Like, like animals have places to live. I don't have a place to live. I don't have a place to lay my head at night." This isn't some luxury cruise that we're going on where, you know, like everything's going to be laid out and like five star hotels on your way. Not all your meals are going to be provided. This is going to be difficult. And he compares himself that even the Son of Man, which Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, um, is even less privileged than the birds of the air having nests. Now, uh, with this story and also the rest of the stories, it's important to note that these are not like eternal uh, um, conditions on following Jesus, right? Because we actually see like even later in the in the story as the church progresses and moves forward, we see that, uh, you know, even Peter and, Jane, and, and um, Paul on their missionary journeys actually have places to stay, right? So this isn't something that, you know, Jesus isn't calling us to a life of destitute and being homeless. Um, but... But Jesus' mission still surprises us today. What he calls us to still surprises us today. And that sometimes we would expect, we're following along in Jesus, that things would be comfortable. Things would be laid out for us and easy. There's an expectation towards that. And now most of us, I think, have had enough experiences in our life to know that that's an unreasonable expectation about how life goes. But there is some hardship to, to expect. Maybe we'd expect that all of our relationships would work out, that they'd have no strife, that forgiveness would come easily, and, uh, and that we would be able to walk in perfect unity with one another. Maybe we would expect justice to play out perfectly in our world, or in the things that we're involved in. We'd expect things to be fair. Or we expect that the work of our hands or the labors that, we, that we're involved in, the hobbies, that those things would be easy without stress or grief. Or that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ would be easily accepted by our neighbors. That there would be no challenge. That they would just understand what we understand and they would believe what we believe. I think of the categories of like our, our friends, family, our work. All of these things are affected by in some way pain, discomfort that we would, ex- we would hope and expect that they would be easy. And I think that that's actually a reminder to us. It's a reminder to us that this is not our home. This discomfort or this um, being uncomfortable for Jesus' mission reminds us of a home later. I think of a couple passages that actually address this. Um, The um, first one that I think of is actually from Hebrews 13. Uh, And at the end of the book of Hebrews, um, the author is actually um, writing, you know, about the Christian life and these final reminders uh, to to their readers. And one of the things that the author says is this, for we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. And so here we have this small but powerful statement that, that wherever we live, that wherever we're, we find ourselves home, that is a temporary home because we are waiting for, we're waiting for that ultimate home. Or to even make it more clear, right, the, the story of Abraham actually has uh, uh, some, uh, um, has an allusion to this as well. And it's also commented on the, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Um, it says, uh, by faith, Abraham, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then it says here, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We can see that the areas of our lives where we feel the strain, the strain, right, this pain that that comes with, um, that comes with life, reminds us that there's a, another place, a, a better home for us that's coming. Not a home that we experience now, but by faith. Um, but we don't see it with our eyes, we experience it by faith, but one that we will see later. And so Jesus' mission, first off, is uncomfortable. Next, uh, Jesus' mission is one of urgency, being uh, time, time sensitive. So verse 59 and 60 says this. says to another, this is another person now, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave your dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So... Here, I would say Jesus ratchets up a little bit more of what his teaching is, right? Um, to the point where we read this and that actually even comes across as insensitive or even just flat out rude, this man is, I think, appropriately wanting to take care of his family. He wants to stop, to, to pause, to bury his father. It's not clear whether, um, you know, his father was already having passed and the, it was just the preparations of the funeral that needed to take place, or if he was towards the end of his life and it was expected to come shortly. It's unclear, but either way, it's still emphatic that Jesus responds with No. <clears throat> And then even more so with this cryptic statement of let the dead bury their dead, which um, just kind of as a, in a Passover here as we go through this, um, I think is alluding to the fact that like Jesus is saying that, sorry. <laughs> let that go. Um, Jesus is saying that, this, um, that, that those who are with him right are the people who have life, those who are following him, maybe not physically following him in the case of this, but people who are following him, have trusted in him, are those with life. Jesus is saying here that, like, those who are not following, right, or uh, do not, have not embraced him, are the dead, right? Those who are spiritually uh, dead. And so Jesus is here saying, like, no, like, turn and work towards me, and walk with me, um, and leave those who have not to bury their dead. Again, a very shocking and kind of uh, impactful statement from Jesus, but I think behind it is a sense of urgency, that Jesus is actually, um, is actually on the, uh, uh, trying to ex- underline the fact that this is, this is something that's happening now. We are on our way now. We're moving here at the moment. You know, I think about this in, in terms of, like, popular culture, right, in, in movies. Um, you know, there's the the famous line from the Terminator, like, come with me if you want to live. Um, you're welcome that I didn't do my Arnold impersonation. Um, or you have it, like, in popular, like, memes and stuff like, hey, there's no time to explain. Get in, right, where you, like, have somebody inviting them into a car. Um, and, uh, and so there's no time to explain this whole concept, right? Or, um, you know... In, in my household, I have a six year old daughter and a three year old daughter so there 's a lot of Disney Princess songs playing all the time and uh, and so those songs are playing so every once in a while I sneak in like some Aladdin songs, some of my favorite picks from those and uh, But I think about you know the story uh, of Aladdin from that, that that cartoon so I said popular culture as if like this is happening now, but i 'm like referencing something like thirty years ago um, and so but Aladdin like there's this moment where uh, Aladdin and Jasmine, the princess in that movie, are uh, they're all of a sudden confronted by these guards who are after Aladdin, and, uh, and so Aladdin, they're in the, the t- top part of this building, Aladdin reaches his hand out to Jasmine and says, do you trust me? And she reluctantly says yes, and uh, the two of them jump from the top of the building and land on a perfectly placed awning that helps them save them from their fall, and, uh, and so there's this moment where she has to decide, am I going to go with him? There's urgency there, right? Like, I don't have time to explain. Like, do you trust me, right? And so here, I think we're seeing something very similar in this, in this response of Jesus. Not to take away from some of the severity of how, how it sounds. There, there is some severity there. But Jesus is trying to express urgency in this mission. Again, knowing he's going towards Jerusalem, that his time on earth is limited. And these disciples, as the same as us, we may have a tendency to expect that we have all the time in the world, that we have a time for, um, like, an expectation of leisure and peace, where the kingdom work or the mission of Jesus, of making him known and knowing him more and more deeply, can take a back seat to us. But we're going to see here, I'm going to explain, that those two things don't have to be exclusive, um, but... But that is sometimes the expectations that we have the, the life set in front of us. We have things we've got to get done. We have uh, priorities that we have in our lives, projects that aren't going to wait. And then God's work, his kingdom work, takes a back seat. I think of a couple, a couple passages that reinforce this. So one that I think about uh, somewhat regularly is Proverbs 27, verse 1, which says, Do not boast about tomorrow. For you do not know what a day may bring. So short wisdom proverb uh, of, of uh, really, we're not promised tomorrow, right? Like don't, don't expect that you'll have tomorrow to get everything accomplished. And sometimes, and I'm speaking to myself here as well as anybody else, that tomorrow can have all of the promise of being able to accomplish what I have in my dream or my vision for my life. Uh, not today, but it's not promised. Or even more specifically, one of my favorite passages, I think, about this concept is James chapter 4. And James here uh, says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For it, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And so we see here, right, again, another concept that tomorrow isn't promised, right? There's this orientation that we should have with our lives towards trusting God and if God wills. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But this past week, I thought to myself, like, what does an urgent life look like? What, like, what does it mean to be on mission with Jesus in our day and age, in our life? And a passage that I stopped to meditate on, and I went back to, and I wasn't sure why I was going back to this passage, but as I thought about it more, it fit actually quite well with what we're talking about here, like what an urgent life looks like for this mission. And we talked about it last week. It's actually Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So quick summary of Acts. Acts, uh, again, written by the same author as this, this passage this morning of, in, the chap, in the book of Luke. Um, Luke wrote the book of Acts. And in that, in that passage... Um, Jesus is actually preparing to ascend to heaven. These are his final instructions to the disciples. We talked again about it last week, but just as a recap, that's what's taking place there. And Jesus says to his disciples before his ascension, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so we look at, this, this verse, and you can be wondering, like, what does that have to do with this urgency? But I want to focus our attention on the word in within that passage. Because Luke didn't use the word to. He could have, right? Because we are witnesses to something and to people. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I think that that's purposeful because we're not just like helicoptering in and dropping pamphlets of gospel truth to people. We are there living with these people. We are, we are in these towns and in these communities and we're witnesses within them, inside of them, which underlines the nature of this, this mission that we're on. It's an as as-you-go mission. And that's why I say... Like our life doesn't have to be exclusive. It doesn't have to be our life and, or kingdom work. It's not two separate things. It can be our life. And as we go, we are witnesses to the things that we've experienced from God. And we talked a lot about that last week with Jesus' set face for us. And so this urgency takes place within our lives as we go. So I think it's important to realize like, well, this isn't a scenario where um, you know, we go and we quit our job right, to become missionaries, to travel around the world. Um, it's, not, it's not a mission where we necessarily have to you know, forget all of our earthly uh, belongings and become monks or anything like that. It's, again, simply just going along uh, with an orientation towards God. In fact, actually, just to kind of reference that James passage again, Right in the James passage, James isn't saying that you can't go to this town and trip by and trade and plan out your year. He simply says that it's if the Lord wills. Right there's this orientation towards God with those things, and so the call for us is not you know this you know sacrifice of all things, but uh, but instead rather in our lives that we have this orientation towards God and what we do, witnessing to what he's done for us. Okay, so we've looked at how Jesus' mission is surprising and that it's uncomfortable. We've looked at how Jesus' mission is surprising in that it's urgent. And now in this final story here, the, the surprising mission of Jesus is focused. Verse 61 and 62. It says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we end on this final account, right? Again, you know, of these three accounts, this is the last one here. We end on this one, and I, I would argue that this one, in my, from my assessment, is actually probably the most, um, the most shocking because this person, you know, he's not going back to, like, prepare a funeral, right? He's not, uh, you know, he doesn't have, like, these life plans that he's going back to. He's literally just like, I just want my family to know where, where I'm going. And, uh, and But Jesus responds in almost a summary of this whole passage. Um, again, doesn't even flat out say no this time. He's just summarizing the concepts for us, saying that those who uh, turn, turn are... Uh, those who are are unable to look forward, are unfit for the kingdom. Which again, has this uh, severity and and harshness to it. But again, Jesus is using an analogy that would have been familiar to the people, this farming analogy um, of of using a plow. And I think taking a little bit of a deeper look at this analogy can help us again understand what exactly is taking place here and how, how it can relate to us and the rewards for us. Um, Jesus uses this, this farming analogy of a plow, right? And it kind of makes sense, right? But if I were to translate it to more modern thinking so we can understand a little bit better, is imagine that you hired somebody to, to mow your lawn, or, yeah, we'll use that. Imagine you uh, made, had someone, you hired somebody to come mow your lawn, and the entire time that they're mowing, they're looking back at the lines to make sure that they're straight. Well, it wouldn't be surprising to find out that as they're looking behind them that they're going to be swerving one way or another. They're not going to be creating straight lines. And if that's important to you in your lawn, like it sometimes is for me, um, that would drive you crazy just seeing like all the wavy lines, right? So you probably wouldn't hire that person back. They are unfit to mow my lawn is the way that I would describe that. And So Jesus is using this farming analogy because plowing is quite similar, like you're plowing and you're creating these grooves in the ground that you can use for planting seeds. But the problem is, is that if the person that you've hired is continually looking back, the plow is going to be again waving from side to side. So that come harvest, as you're like pulling things out, they're going down, you're pulling out carrot, 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 pineapple, right? Like it's all of a sudden like the lines are uneven. I should do a quick disclaimer that I am not an expert in the agricultural world of the Middle East. It's probably carrots and pineapples if I had to. It was my. What's that? Yeah, my authority is being questioned here. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but you get the idea, right? The, the, this person would not be just like I wouldn't be fit to do it. Um, they would not be fit to work the, that farmland anymore, and so. As we look at our life, right, the the intentionality of this passage, right, is this forward-looking, right? That this person isn't looking back; they're not looking back on the things behind them. They're looking back; they're looking forward, right? Now, this isn't a question of the motives. We're we're not given any insight into this disciple. Like, was he planning to not come back? Was this an excuse of some kind? We don't know any of that. Um, But the the concept that for us is that. In our life with Jesus, in this this mission, it can be surprising that um, that we are moving away from the things that we used to find life and joy in, that that we used to um, give, that used to give us um, the things that we would look for for life and happiness. <clears throat> the focus here is on something much deeper, and it's this meaningful relationship with God. Now, to clarify that, right, what we're not saying is that these gifts that God has given us are not uh, things that can't, can't be enjoyed, right? But they are horrible substitutes for God and what he offers us. If I think about it this way, right, um, things in our lives that maybe we used to find gave us life or we tried, tried to derive life from is uh, like money, resources, Right? The things in our lives, the things that we have. Right? And instead of enjoying them as God's gifts, the things that God has given us to us to enjoy, to, to provide for us, instead of being grateful for those things, we turn them into something that has to give us life. And when we're without those things, we can feel fear. We can feel panic. Or if they don't meet our expectations, we feel like something's wrong. Uh, or I think about like, relational aspects like praise, um, encouragement, uh, love that we receive from one another. Again, these are the good things that God has given us that we can enjoy with our, with our own lives, but not to be replaced with him. Or like our family and friends... Sometimes we can have like standards that we think that they should meet, and if they're not behaving the way that I want, then things get out of hand. That's when I start to get discontent with my life, or uh, I can be discouraged or feeling hopeless because they have replaced potentially what God is supposed to offer us. These things that before Jesus um, we could be looking to try to find our hope and our life in, we we turn back to them from time to time. And Jesus is saying, no, like those things to, are to be forget, forgotten and we should be looking forward. Not, and not forgotten per se, but um, the way that I think about it is like seasoning on food, right? If we try, the gifts in our lives are like salt. They're like the, the favorite topping that you have on like a steak or your meal, right? Um, those things are good. They, they enhance the gift that you have of food, but if you tried to sustain yourself only on seasonings, only on the flavor of things, then they would fall woefully short in keeping you alive. And that is what we have as a tendency is that we worship the gifts that God gives us rather than worshiping him and finding life in him. And so the call to us is this looking forward, looking towards what God offers us. I think one of my favorite passages that really um, illustrates this or puts kind of in perspective uh, is Psalm 135. And I'll have, um, I'll have that in two parts on the, on the page here. We'll talk about them in two halves. But Psalm 135, verse 13, on the, on the page here, it says, Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all ages. For the Lord will vindicate his people, and he has compassion on his servants. So, quick pause on this this part here. This tells us a lot about God, His nature, who He is towards us. So, here we see Your name, O Lord, endures forever. Your renown, O Lord, throughout all the ages. This is a God who is living, who is eternal. He will be with us forever. Uh, the second half of that, there is a, for the Lord will vindicate His people. So, this is a God. Oh, sorry, uh, back one more slide there. Um, the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants. Here, God will have justice on those who have been wronged, uh, on his people who have been wronged. here, we're going to see that he has compassion, right? Mercy and grace on his people, on his servants. So there's very much this living and active and, uh, you know, heavy uh, in a good way expression of God from this first half. Now, if we turn and look towards the description, which is the same passage, but we can go to the next slide, we look at the idols. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them, and so do all who trust in them. And so here in comparison to this living and active God, this God who's famous and will live forever, we have this comparison and contrast with the idols that were made by them. And, uh, and we have a tendency, we don't make them with eyes and mouths or um, things like that necessarily these days, right? But rather than just enjoying silver and gold for adorning and and, uh, as a gift from God, they took these things and they crafted them into idols of worship. And I think this gets at a little bit of the heart of what we can be doing with the things that God has given us life. We can turn back towards them and look for them for life that only God can give us. And so Jesus' summary here reminds us that focusing, focusing on the mission at hand that is, making God known and knowing him is our priority. That's what we, is ahead of us. Or to put more simply, in, in the terms of like what we talk about here every Sunday, that is, simply loving Jesus together. So, as broken people in this world, we can easily bring ideas of what Jesus' mission can look like we can come to it and shape it the way that we want, uh, rather than let Jesus shape it for us. And so we're challenged this morning to look at how Jesus' mission surprises us and rewards us. We've looked at it in three ways, that Jesus' mission can be surprising in that it can be uncomfortable, but in that way, it's a reminder that this is not our home, that we have a home uh, ultimately that's ahead of us in heaven. We also looked at that his mission is urgent, that it's happening now, and that we don't, we're not promised tomorrow, so today that we're taking that mission as we go, that we're taking it in the man, in the community that we live in, in Manchester, or the surrounding area, that we're bringing it with us. And then finally, we've seen that Jesus' mission is focused. It's one that does not look behind but instead in front of, of what the life that God is, uh, is giving us by enjoying Him and again making His love known to the world around us. So let's now, let's pause and ask God for strength as we continue to participate in that surprising mission. Let's pray. God, we thankful, we're thankful for that your mission, although it can be hard to remain consistent, God, we, uh, we are encouraged that it is um, it's not complicated that as we go that we would have priorities of yours that to enjoy you and to, to make you known in the things that we value in the way that we live our lives and the way that we forgive and love one another that those things God would be what we're known for and so God I just ask that you would strengthen us for this mission that you would give us the strength to be able to apply it today and not wait for tomorrow and God that you would just uh, um, lavish on us your grace that as we enjoy the good gifts of your life that you've given us um, that in those things we would reflect how you're a good giver and we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name amen thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester New Hampshire